0: God's got a plan. God has a plan for your work. He's already planned it out in advance, and he's the caller, we're the called, and it's our job to listen, but it's his job to direct.
1: But too often, we make decisions based on assumptions or on what what we think other people want, instead of on the facts, on the truth, on the boundaries that are really guiding the decision we need to make.
2: It's about priorities and order. So if you're starting with your passions, you're doing it wrong. Start with your natural abilities and build your skills on that and make sure your passions are aligned with that. And then you've really got something going.
0: Well, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Career Navigator Podcast, where we deliver the insights you need to discover and travel God's path to the best next your career. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, your host. We believe that no one needs to walk alone through career transition, and I'm not alone. I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Sarah Evers. Hello. And Ken Kennard. Hi, everyone. And Sarah's going to kick us off by introducing herself.
1: I'm Sarah Evers, and I love helping people win and work and in life. I've navigated my own career transitions, including more than 15 role and industry changes in 25 years. I know firsthand that those moments of transition, when you wonder if you can actually make the shift, are full of potential and possibility. I've worked in nonprofits. I've been an entrepreneur. I've lived internationally and in U.S. global cities. I got to tell you, change is the constant in my life.
2: And I'm Ken Kennard. I started work as an entrepreneur when I was 15. And ever since, I've been combining creativity and technology to help people thrive at work. I've been a college professor. I've worked for Apple. I founded a creative agency. And as a professional coach, I've been part of this VOCA Center team since before its inception and played a key role in the design of the Career Navigator Program.
0: And I'm Dr. Chip Roper. I'm the founder and president of VOCA And my passion is really helping people discover God's wisdom for the dilemmas they face in their work. And speaking of dilemmas, I've been through three major career changes in my working life. The last was the most dramatic and the most scary. But by working with a coach and leaning into spiritual practices, a potential disaster was turned into a spiritual adventure. Along with Ken and Sarah, I'm excited to share what we were learning through VOCA Center's Career Navigator podcast and coaching program
1: we've created the Career Navigator podcast to provide you with practices to navigate the job search process, practical advice for dilemmas in your career, and counsel on how to apply God's wisdom to your career journey. Each episode will feature a guest with a unique and compelling take on job search and calling. Stay with us for the journey and you'll get a masterclass on career clarity and job searching.
2: And faith is a key element of this. In fact, it's the foundational element of career navigation. VOCA stands for vocation, which means calling. And that means we have a caller. And the more we get to know our caller, the more clear our calling becomes. And we're going to have some guests on the show that are more than just inspiring. They're men and women who anchor their hopes in Jesus and his work on their behalf in his promises and his power to work in us.
0: Ken, that's such a key point about focusing on the caller. It really takes some of the pressure off of all of us in this journey. You know, we record our episodes in front of a live webinar audience. You can join us and shape the conversation by signing up at vocacenter.org webinar. You know, we believe the process of job search and developing career clarity is a team sport. And we're honored to walk alongside professionals like you all over the world, equipping them to find and follow God's plan for their work. In this inaugural episode of our podcast, our team discusses the key components of vocational adventure. What does it take to find and follow God's wisdom for your career? So let's join the conversation, which was recorded in front of a live webinar audience in April of 2021.
3: I'm going to welcome back Chip and Sarah and Ken. Uh, turn it over to you guys. Thank you so much again for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Melissa. And uh, it's great to see everybody today, or at least your names. Um, And um, we're delighted to be back. And uh, by the way, you may find that uh, if you put your uh, Zoom on uh, speaker view, you get the best best experience. Uh, So we're going to be highlighting things uh, for you guys to see as we go along. Uh, But we're excited to continue our conversation. And uh, last week, we talked about how do we find meaning in our work? And this week, in some ways, we're talking about how do we find work that's meaningful? Um, It's we're really trying to answer the question, how do I know what specific job or career God wants me to pursue for now? Uh, And we've talked about how calling is a dynamic thing. So how do we know for now what that is? And I just want to spend a few minutes uh, talking about the challenge and Ken, Sarah, you can join me on this. I'll just throw out some ideas and see what you think. And then uh, we want to jump into a framework we think that helps us um, really grasp, you know, how we can flip this, which is often an angst producing stressful process into more of a spiritual adventure. And what does it take to flip the script on that? So that's where we're going to head this afternoon or this morning, I guess, for you guys uh, that are in Chicago. Sorry. Uh, We were just, we were talking about time zones before, before we started and (laughs) there we go. Anyway. So when it comes to figuring out, like, well, what work are we supposed to do? I mean, all of us have made that decision probably multiple times. I mean, high school, you needed to get a job or then you had to decide what you're going to do after high school. And then you went to if you went to college and you got out and you got a job and you decided, is this a job for me? And like we make this we make this decision over and over again, many of us in our lives. And, you know, it's one where it's hard. It's hard to make it. It's a hard to, to sort of feel like we can ever really start with a blank sheet of paper because, you know, I had to push past the expectations that we receive from our parents. That's a big, huge force and what we think is possible. Some of us are, we do a lot of comparison with our peers. Um, and then, uh, you know, we have our own dreams. And sometimes those dreams are, we, we should, you know, go to the med for them. And sometimes we should probably let them go. And so that that's tricky. Uh, and then when we start to put ourselves out there and explore, I, we feel very vulnerable. I some of the things that we're doing at VOCA with clients were born out of an experience that I had in a career transition uh, back in 2014. And I was leaving 20 years. I was a pastor and I was trying to find a job in New York and New York City, moving from like kind of rural suburban Pennsylvania to New York City. And I just felt, felt terribly vulnerable. I felt like I just really didn't, I wasn't sure whether I really had a lot to offer, if anybody would even give me the time of day you know kind of the country preacher and the big city kind of thing it just it does things in your head and um so we feel vulnerable when we start to explore and start to reach out and another thing i'm i've just i see a lot is that people get paralyzed by fomo by the fear of missing out like if i commit to this thing then i won't be able to do these four other things but they might be the right thing and Ken and Sarah, what do you think? What are you seeing as people are wrestling with these questions about what job am I supposed to pursue or supposed to do?
2: Yeah, I I think that what I'm seeing is that everyone is experiencing some kind of fear. When I talk to really young people, I think their fear is that maybe the world's not going to be the way they imagined it or the way they prepared for it to be. They've got these ideals and they're hoping those ideals will really work. But what they really don't realize is work might be a little different than the way they imagined it. And then I also see on the other end of the spectrum, people that are in their senior years, maybe they haven't looked for a job in a while, or maybe they're re-entering the, the workplace after a while. And, and they feel their fear is, I'm, I'm going to be lost. I'm not going to understand how the software works or how business works. Something's changed in the last you know however many years. And so I think all of us could sign up for this if we had to put our, our name on the list of some kind of fear or anxiety related to the job search process and, and finding the right thing for us.
1: And I'm seeing um, the, the role of comparison or living up to expectations, whether it's your parents' expectations, your peers' expectations, the expectations of your reputation, um, and that making a shift sometimes means letting people down, and that is a really hard thing for a lot of people in career transition. Right? We we don't want to let people down. We don't want to be a disappointment or think that we're a disappointment. And so rather than pursuing what we sense might be our calling, we end up um, not wanting to disappoint our parents or not wanting to disappoint our friends uh, and, and living a, a lesser a lesser life. And I think that that, that um, not wanting to disappoint connects with this idea of comparison and FOMO, right? Because if, if you're not comparing yourself to other people, you're not gonna have FOMO, but then there's this, yeah, like you, like you drew, Chip, there is this idea of, of sort of a cycle with comparison and living up to expectations or disappointing people, turning into the, the the phantom of who you really were meant to be and FOMO.
0: Yeah. We want to push past that. We want to try and push past these fields that kind of cloud our vision. And we want to get to some clarity. And and just to put it in context of the ground that we've covered so far. Uh, so in this slide that's, uh, that you're seeing, uh, we're really talking about we said calling is dynamic. It's multi-di- multi-dimensional. It's an invitation and a summons. It's you know, it's a privilege and it's also a responsibility. And uh, our ultimate calling is to Christ, but also you know, one of the areas, the arenas where this plays out, is in our work. And then linking it to what we talked a little bit about last week, when we talked about different kinds of ex- the way we experience different forms of meaning in our work. Um, we're really talking about, um, in a sense, two, the two shifts here. One is to go from secular to sacred, and that's connected to how we find some peace and security to make this journey. And then also, uh, maybe more broadly and more exciting, more attractive is the idea that we can move from work that's true, chore work, just it's drudgery, to work that's treehouse work, where it's, we, we have the sense at least that there's a significant concentration in a given job or career that matches. Uh, the kinds of tasks and, and activities where we experience flow, where we have this right, like this healthy sense of challenge, and our um, our abilities are rising to meet the demands of the work the work that we're called to do. So that that's just to connect it to where we're going. But um, as we jump into this, um, we've got four kind of four pieces to this, um, and we've called it the building blocks of calling. And and the first has to do with where your job happens and your job happens at the intersection of the real you and the real world and we start with the real you um and we divide that into uh four components and if we could see the first one oh it's all okay it's 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 an anim- it's all comes in once got it um so now we're all ahead of the game already because you have the whole we've got everything you need to know about you on the screen now let we, we, we designed this uh, the way it is on purpose, because we really think that kind of the mini pyramid there, that your abilities are on the bottom, and they're the foundation, and you need to start there. And it's very it's very rare to be able to sustain a, a career and a calling and an area of work that you're not gifted to do, that you don't have the raw talent to do. And so when we say abilities, we mean your natural talents, um, the, the capacities that you were born slash raised with, kind of the raw material you carry into your working life. The second component are skills, and skills are the, the things that you learn how to do. And um, so all of us learn how to do things. Um, you know, I've had to learn how to do paperwork, even though I'm not actually, don't have really great abilities in it, I just have to do it, right? I have to file my taxes, and there's things like that I have to do. So we think that you know, all all things considered, you get the most impact when you build your skills on your abilities. And an illustration could be music, like you could have a musical talent mix, and then you have to learn skills in a given instrument. Uh, If you don't have musical ability, you could try very hard. Some of you did, maybe you suffered through some sort of lessons when you were a child, Uh, but you're just never gonna be great at it, you know, it's and it's always gonna be drudgery, it's not really gonna feel like that sense of flow and then we put passions on the top and there's a lot of con- I mean there's a lot of good healthy conversations around passion in the faith and work world there's a lot of unhealthy baptizing of passion in the world beyond the faith and work conversation we just say do what you love follow your passion um so we like to we really want to qualify the passion piece um sustained interest uh is a way we might define passion some some arena or focus that sustains your interest um, that constantly you find energizing. Um, I think that that's, that's the way we would define it rather than something that excites you uh, momentarily or te- even te- you know temporarily, that there's got to be the sense that it's durable, that it's more than just enthusiasm that has to do with uh, that it pulls out your interest and energizes you and it's fairly consistent. And, you know, we see this all the time as as professional coaches that People with the same abilities and skills can go various directions. And so passions is help, are helpful as a, as a guide to maybe what you might want to focus on. So like if you have a sales profile, um, what do you want to sell? Um, you're going to probably sell something you're passionate about or interest, you know, that sustains your interest and gives you energy. You're going to be a more effective salesperson in that space than you are in something that doesn't. So that's, that's where we'd put that. And then the last piece here. Um, are boundaries and um, this is the part that we don't want to talk about because boundaries are really about limitations and, um, and I'm anxious to hear why you guys just laughed at that because you've heard this <laughs> like a million times but you just laughed so say something about that
2: <laughs> go ahead Sarah. Well, I think,
1: well I think boundaries are good um, and you're right we don't like to talk about them because we like to say you can do anything or you can be anything you want to be Um, or you can have any job you want to have, but that's not reality. And boundaries are good because they give us the limitations, whether it's a geographic limitation or a life stage limitation or um, an ability, skill, or passion limitation. So I think there's, there's something really wonderfully beautiful about knowing what your boundaries are and knowing what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for. And then you don't go busting boundaries and making a mess of everything like a bowl in a china shop.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and not only that but like this is creativity 101. Like embracing boundaries actually makes you more creative because you have to bring out resources that fit in the boundaries. It forces you to come up with new solutions. But I was laughing, Chip, because this is exactly the opposite of the advice in the world right now. I mean, everyone would say how do what how do you find your right job? Well, first, throw off all boundaries. You can do whatever you want. Start with your passion. What are you passionate about? If you find your passion, you'll never work a day in your life, blah, blah, blah. And then you realize, oh, well, I have to develop that into skills. So you're developing skills based on those passions, which may be difficult, may not. It all depends on what? Your natural abilities, which is sort of last in the chain if it's upside down. And now you're, you're trying to leverage abilities that you may not even have because you're passionate about something that you're not naturally able to do better than other people. So life's just going to be hard. No wonder we need some kind of help in this culture because our culture has it pretty much exactly backwards.
0: Yeah, our culture has taken the idea that our parents, many of our parents, said you can be whatever you want, and now they've said you can you can def- you can define your identity however you want. You can just they're just they're just amplifying it in every Disney song, and so it's like you know it, that's that's what we're sold and you know reality life just doesn't the world just doesn't bend that way uh you know it doesn't yield to that and it just leads to a lot of disillusionment um but i like what you said ken about it it being um it forces us to be more creative and sarah i think your points about it comes in different forms i mean going back to that calling chart where we have all these other callings like i had a client who he could have the best actually he was a new york guy and his best options for work were in chicago uh but his wife just like it would have really been unhealthy for her to move and um you know if it's just all about work and it's the career navigator career not a career navigator career narrative you just go for it and you just say tough uh but he made a hard call and he it extended his search and made it a little bit more difficult um but got under that eventually and showed him to something that he could you know continue to be challenged and productive and contribute in the in the metro area without moving and that's that's reality right like we're we're multi-dimensional and it's all part of our calling. So the real you, I mean, you're all wonderful, but you don't know yourselves as well as you think. And we think part of this process is really starting and get the data, get the facts, put it all together so that you can, it makes decision-making so much easier. But that's just half of the equation. The other half of the equation is the real world uh, illustrated by the map. And the real world is what's happening in the market for your talent. You know, what, what's, what's what's going on out there? It's beyond you. So the real you is somewhat of an introspective uh, process, whereas the real world is a discovery process. Uh, it's, it's, it's getting out. And there's kind of three questions that we always coach people to ask uh, broad categories when they go out and start to figure out what's possible. And this doesn't matter if you're, you know, in college trying to think what's my next, my job going to be, or if you hate your job and you're trying to think about something different we still think you should go out into the world and have conversations, and discern the answers to these questions. Uh, the first one is personal fit. Is this job that somebody else has that I might be interested in is a good fit for me? Or is this company a good fit for me? Or is this industry a good fit for me? You um, know, I've had some clients in private equity and they've just realized that for your first 10 to 15 years in private equity, you're gonna work hundred hours a week, at least you are in New York City and if you want to stay in that business that's just the way it is that's that's and in one in one case they decided they were going to do it it's worth it it was a personal fit they worked it out and the other they didn't and that's not even about the skills required it's just about the lifestyle that's demanded of that job and before we like do the shame shame on finance I mean people in medicine have been you know doing those types of things even veterinarians for for centuries, so it's this is not that's just the way some vocations are, and that's that could be okay. But the first thing you're looking for is personal fit. The second is you're you want to try and assess opportunity. You know, is this an area where there's more hiring, where there's more uh, more jobs are being added, that kind of thing. I um, contemplated a transition in two thousand nine, two thousand ten into uh, international Christian nonprofit. And that was right after everybody got laid off in 2008 and 2009. There there was not opportunity. There was a glut of talent in that space. So for me to move from one industry into that industry during a time when there wasn't a lot of opportunity, it wasn't necessarily impossible, but it was going to take a lot of time. It was going to be very hard. And so assess the opportunity. And the last thing you do is if you get a green light on personal fit, yeah, this would be a good... Industry job company for me where for me to work, and I am set there are separate categories, but anyway, those are the things you suss out. There is opportunity, I'm not jumping onto a shrinking iceberg, you get a green light on that. Then you ask the question, Well, what steps do I need to take to get from where I am now to there? Um, and sometimes it's just there's just you need, you've got all the credentials, you just need to talk to the right people. Sometimes you need to go get a certification or something. And sometimes you need to go back to school. Uh, But the bottom line is you find out what's it going to take for me to get there. The real world. Thoughts on the real world, guys?
2: Yeah, I I think the order is so critical here. I was just uh, reflecting on coaching a client last week. He had five career options that he was passionate about. And one of them didn't fit his abilities, So we scratched that off. We had four more that we were doing with the real world. And I was able to show him data that one of the things he was really passionate and interested and in, uh, able to do had a really bright outlook. There was lots of jobs coming out of the market. And another one, the outlook was horrible. Like, So even if he had to, as it indicated, get more education for the one that was a good outlook, it turns out that because there's so much opportunity there and there's market demand, which means the, pro- the salaries are going to go up because there's not enough people to meet the demand. By the time he gets his degree and looks for a job, that job is gonna more than pay for taking those extra steps as we see here uh, to to get that job. Whereas the other one would be a constant frustration and he'd be looking for work that just wasn't there.
1: I had a similar conversation, Ken, with a a client. At first I'm like, are you in a meeting with my client? Because he's in, that same, he's in that same job transition section where he's, he, he wants, to, he needs to leave, he was laid off, so he needs to find something else. But what he wants to go into, what is a good fit, where there's opportunity is gonna require him to go back to school um, and, and get another degree. And so, um, but it's worth it because the opportunity is growing and it fits with his abilities, fits with his skills and it fits with his passions. So the investment of time and money, um, it's a real stewardship for him getting where he wants to. And in the meantime, we've been talking about what are um, part-time jobs or jobs he can work while he's finishing this educational process to get to what he really wants. And even thinking about how do we find the right fit for him um, in that temporary space so that he's adding, so what he's doing in the meantime becomes an asset, a value add to what he wants to go after in a couple of years.
0: That's huge because what you just said, Sarah, it's like one point you're making is it steps often, not, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like those, those, those movers in the airport, you just stand on it and it suddenly gets you to kind of your terminal, it's, it's not that way at all. It's more like, it's, it's more like you're gonna have to go here and then here and then here, and you're gonna get closer each time. The other thing is if you really know what your abilities and skills are, you can bring them to bear in almost any situation and even if it's the temporary one so that helps you give you kind of a personal strategy for thriving while you're on your way to that destination that's that's a great point
1: well and that vision also gives you that encouragement to keep pushing on right it's a it's a casting the vision of where you want to go so when when things get hard or or when your your family or your friends are saying why are you doing this you've got something to hold up to them um and remind yourself that it's worth it. You don't have to live up to other people's expectations. It's
0: great. A lot of freedom in that. Amen. So this is where the this is where the conversation usually ends, right? Real world, real you. Find the match. You know, it's just any any career coach that's worth their salt probably has a model that's like this in some form or the other. Um, and they're going to definitely do some assessment with you, and they're going to also talk about some sort of exploration process to verify opportunity. Um, but we don't want to end there because we think there's more, I think there's more to the picture. So let's talk about how the gospel speaks into this whole journey of figuring out where we're headed, uh, with our work. Uh, the foundation, uh, for the, for the trip is really our gospel identity. And then from first John three, it says, we are the children of God. That's who we are. And it says, you know, the world doesn't totally understand that. And we don't under, totally understand what that's all going to mean, actually. You know, it's kind of like, it's it, you know, the painting isn't done here, guys. Uh, it's partially filled in. But what's really important is that our identity is defined by whose we are, not what we accomplish or what we do. Um, the way Tim Keller says it is that we have a received identity rather than an achieved identity. And, you know, when you're, when you're getting sucked into the comparison game and I'm not, I'm not as accomplished as my older sister, or I'm not doing what my dad wanted me to do, or my friends from college, you know, at least from their social media feed, it looks like they're making three times as much as me, you know, like all that stuff hits you and you start to think I'm behind or I'm a lesser person. And this gospel identity comes in and just pushes all of that out the door. And, um, So it's the foundation for this. Guys want to say anything about that before we move on to the next piece.
2: Well, I I find it I find it interesting that it we're using this sort of car analogy. It, It implies that we can go faster and easier with that identity. And that's kind of my experience. It takes some of the friction out of the journey. If I'm not if I'm not adding to the job search all of this extra emotional weight an anxiety of like, who am I? Who do other people want me to be? Am I living up to their expectation? It just gets into this whole, you know, trying to achieve, trying to perform. I'm naturally kind of wanting to show I'm good by my performance and my, you know, my contribution and that, and this just helps me relax. Like, whoa, you, know, you can't be more or less of a child of God than you already are. Chill. And it doesn't mean you're going to do nothing. It doesn't mean there's nothing to do or no work involved, but just makes the journey all that much smoother, more efficient, I think.
1: It also strikes me that we're looking at at a car chassis um, as opposed to a bicycle, right? Where I'm powering it and I'm I'm working it and the, the hills might slow me down if I'm not changing the gears. But, you know, w- with the car, I just need to strap in, put my seatbelt on, and let the car and the motor do the work, and I think that's the way it is with this concept of a received identity versus a car or versus the achieved identity, right? I just I receive from the Lord, and that's that's who I am. I don't have to prove anything.
0: It's absolutely it's freeing, it's liberating, and it it enables us to have something that's actually a key success factor in this whole process, which is a learning mindset. So we can be open to learning. All these things that we've suggested, we'll come back to that in a second, but it just, it really has a very, very practical application in terms of giving us the mental framework to just say, okay, I'm going to go find it. And some of the lessons are going to be hard and some are going to be easy and it's going to be fun and boom, but we don't want to just ride around in a chassis, right? Like, you know, uh, we need, we need cover and that comes from gospel destiny and, um, I'm sure many of you have heard Ephesians 3.10, you know, we're God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do the works he planned in advance for us to do. Well, we, we think that this applies to our work, that the work he's planned for us to do includes our jobs. It includes the, the things we do there every day, um, that it's on the list. And it's basically this verse is saying, God's got a plan. God has a plan for your work. He's already planning out in advance. And, you know, I think we said this uh, in week one, but he's the caller. We're the called. And, um, you know, it's our job to listen, but it's his job to direct. And that that, actually, that takes the, some of that performance pressure off of us as well. It takes off this demand that I have to figure this out and I have to figure it out now. And uh, because it's promised, he's got good work that he's planned for me to do and um it's his job to plan it it's his job to direct it's my job to do it when that becomes apparent thoughts on that
1: i i love this um being encapsulated surrounded protected by this gospel identity and this gospel destiny that that my received identity as a child of god um protects me on, on, from one side, um, of whether they're ruts in the road or potholes. Um, but I'm also protected by this covering that God's good hand is upon my life and that there's good in store that, um, that there is purpose for my life and a way for me to represent and re-image God on this earth, uh, that his fingerprints are all over this. And and that gives the protection that if we go off the rails, if we go off-roading, if, if life feels like it's going, veering in a direction I'm, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with, there's protection all around me.
2: Yeah, there, there is protection. What there is not is you don't get to find out exactly where everything's going, you know? It's it's a little bit of an adventure, you know? I, I'm reminded of Abraham's calling where God said, you know, follow me, I'm going to take you to a place that I'll let you know about. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, where's that, you know? Uh, so so this is like driving by faith, to, to extend the analogy, you know? Um, you understand yourself in the world, but you don't always understand where God's going to take you. And that can be quite an adventure.
0: Hmm. No, that's really good. So let's, let's just wrap this up uh, into a couple of action items and then we'll take questions. I see we've already got one there. So I'm look, we'll look forward to talking to your, to, to speaking to those as best we can. But I think part of this whole process is a commitment that we, we want to go find the truth out. We're going to go find the truth out about ourselves and about the world. Like we're not going to assume that we already know it. We're not going to assume that uh, we've got it figured out. We're gonna we're gonna make a commitment to go find the truth. And um, sometimes you know we just skim on this. And you, know, one of my mentors used to say to me, "Decisions become easy when all the facts become known." And uh, I think just that just that just was one of those light bulb moments. It, it resonated, and it's like. I, whenever I'm in a situation, I do everything I can to find out all the facts that I can reasonably gather. And so we're saying, find the facts out about you, find the facts out about the world. Uh, this, the second piece is probably a little bit harder, and that's to embrace, the, embrace what we find. Embrace the truth about yourself and the world. And When I was in that transition from the Philly suburbs to New York City, one of the jobs I was really interested in was management consulting. And I was 45, I had been a pastor for 20 years, I had a business degree, but then I had two seminary degrees. And in case some of you wondered, McKinsey and Deloitte don't hire people like that to be consultants, they don't. Um, They hire people with MBAs from Ivy League schools, that's who are in their 30s, that's, or about 30, that's that's their, they already have a pipeline, they already have a mindset. And I learned that, and I had to to embrace that, It was a limitation right it was a boundary issue and even though i'm like from a talent perspective i might have the capacity to do that work i didn't have the resume to get it and that's the way it was and so i pivoted you know i i went and pursued something else and but the point is we have to be willing to embrace it you know we just had a guest on our webinar last week who she went into investment banking and she wasn't very good at it and she might've gotten some hints, I don't know, but she eventually just, she came to this conclusion, invest in banking is not for me, even though I went to college for it, even though uh, my dad wanted me to do it. It's just not for me. And so we, we know not just to find the facts, but we have to embrace them, which is the harder part, I think. Um, you know, And so sometimes we just get stuck. We're afraid of what we might find out. We're actually afraid of what we already know and we don't want to deal with it. And then the third thing I will say, and you know, Ken and Sarah, feel free to add any other thoughts about what we do with all this, is I just think we need to find ways to reinforce the truth of the gospel in our lives, which is, you, know, you guys are doing that with Burnham Fellowship and things like that, that just really weave it into our daily rhythms and the way we perceive ourselves in the world and our work, because um, you're not going to get any reinforcement for your gospel identity or destiny from your boss in most cases uh that's just not going to come from there and you have to you have to backfill that and find you know this the spiritual rhythms the kind of things that make you uh gospel resilient uh that that are going to enable you to carry through that because it's going to be hard and and um that's where christian community and spiritual disciplines and that kind of thing finding the mix that's right for you is part of that It's, it's a critical action item to reinforce that part of the model. So I see those three things. We've got to find the truth, we've got to embrace the truth, and then we've got to uh, lean into the truth of the gospel um, on a day-to-day basis. And then I think uh, this can happen. Um, Guys, have any other thoughts about action items? And then we can get to some questions.
2: Yeah, well, one of the action items is a question, so I wanted to just go ahead and address it. Bethann Williams any insight uh, for balancing opportunity versus fit. I have a PhD and want to be faculty, so a huge investment of time, but looking at a shrinking opportunity field. Well, just what you're, this touches on almost all the things we just said. One of them is, you know, looking at the real world and seeing what is really out there. We've had people um, that have been in this very position as career navigators, and there's not that many potential outcomes here. One is you embrace the PhD. You don't say no for people about the shrinking opportunity and and assume that there's nothing for you. You go out and get it and you compete for those jobs that are available, even if it means um, brushing up on some extra skills or adding something, uh, some kind of experience that makes you even more competitive, more appealing. Others have taken that same uh, situation and said, okay, well, where else can a PhD be useful? Maybe not faculty, but as a consultant, as a key advisor, as someone who's an expert that can offer things in the marketplace outside of academia. We've seen that as well. And um, another thing is is uh, using the PhD indirectly by leveraging other skills and abilities that have been picked up along the way, whether it's communication or you work in the laboratory or what have you. Um, so really, I mean, there's not enough information to, to solve this here, but looking at this model and allowing it to shape the process you can see where uh, this could go from being really fuzzy and unknown and anxiety producing and oh my gosh i'm in a shrinking field what was me i'm never going to get a job to real clear points of decision making that can make this a, a path that we could map out
0: yeah i would just add to that to Bethany. Beth- that's a great question I, I think i would add that um I would ask, I would, I would, I would, co- I would assign you the task of identifying people who are um, who are getting faculty jobs, and I would analyze their experience. I, if I could talk to them, I'd find out how they do it. Um, I would just find out who are, what. What are the characteristics of the people that are winning at this game? You want to play? And um, and then you can make an assessment about whether or not you want to play that, whether or not you're supposed to play that game, or whether or not you want to play that game. And there could be two different answers. But um, you know, like I have a one of my my kids is in um, she's in a PhD program as well, and she's finding out that it's a science program. But getting grants is actually a big part of the game. And the professors that get grants are the ones that actually get to stay and get to teach and. You know, and so there's a that's about relationships. It's about communication, um, and maybe that sounds exciting, or maybe that sounds you know terrible. <laughs> but you know, and I don't know if that's true in in the field where your PhD is, but I just think it's um, figure out reverse engineer the people who are doing or winning, and figure out whether or not that's how you might be able to do the same thing.
1: And all. All of this conversation is part of the work, right? So Chip outlined three parts of the work, finding the truth, embracing the truth, and reinforcing the truth. And all of this circles back into that category of finding out the truth. We need to do what we can to to figure out what is reality because reality, that's a set of boundaries right there. So let's understand the truth because that's going to give us boundaries for this job search. And just as Chip's professor talked about how decisions are easy when all the facts are known, I've got a friend who used to say adequate preparation results in leading without hesitation. Adequate preparation results in leading without hesitation. And when we've done our homework to understand what the boundaries are, to, to understand what the truth is and define the truth, when we have all the facts, then we know what decisions we can make. But too often, we make decisions based on assumptions um, or on what what we think other people want instead of on the facts, on the truth, on the boundaries that are really guiding the decision we need to make.
0: That's
1: good. Yeah, I, I love that, Sarah. And just to pick up
3: um, briefly, I think one of the things that strikes me is uh, we talk about how the gospel enables us to face the truth mm. you know so we are people who don't have to be afraid of what we're going to find out of what's true of what limitations we have of what is out there um you know so often uh i think we we want to sort of live in like uh if i don't know that it, it can't hurt me or something like that um but i think that uh that i love that you know as as people who who know the truth you know, capital T. Um, we know what is true about our world, we know what is true about ourselves. Um, and so we don't have to, we don't have to fear, you know, looking at what's true because we know who who has us, um just as we talked about that gospel identity. But it applies in this situation too.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. You know, they there were four in the furnace. Um, and so, you know, when when we walk hand in hand with Jesus, we've got that other person in, in the furnace with us, that fiery furnace, and we can. We don't have to fear reality. We can, we can walk through reality with Jesus and he'll help us understand and know the truth. And as we know, the truth sets us free and there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So um, walking in partnership with Jesus, taking on his yoke allows us a lot of freedom. Amen.
3: I saw some other uh, good questions. I had a couple come to me, and then I think there's still a couple in the uh, chat here. Um, and actually, uh, there's two that are similar, so I think this is a great one to hit on. Nicole uh, highlighted it, as did someone else. So, sort of this, like, how do we deal with um, experience of guilt? Someone said that about kind of pursuing something that they feel passionate about. Um, Nicole uh, talked about it as maybe selfish, um, you know, something that's, uh, you know however we sort of deem this idea of what's important and meaningful uh, versus what we're good at. So so how, how do we sort of like hold on to maybe some of those tensions where it feels like, man, I'm good at this, but I've got these responsibilities here, so I shouldn't do it, or I'm passionate about this, but it feels like it's you know not as meaningful or important. So how, how do you navigate some of those
2: tensions? I would say it's about priorities and order. So if you're starting with your passions, you're doing it wrong, right? Start with your natural abilities, and build your skills on that and make sure your passions are aligned with that. And then you've really got something going. You don't need to feel um, embarrassed or you know, guilty about being passionate about your work. That's not the trouble. The trouble is what happens when the passion drives everything, when it's the high priority. And then you realize your passions change or it doesn't match reality or your skills and abilities aren't in line. And pretty soon you're really frustrated at work and you're going through lots of jobs and you're, it's costing companies money to hire you and you're just getting unfulfilled. So I think that's why the model's built in a certain order. And that's why we do things a step at a time and then everything in its proper place.
0: Yeah, that's good. I, I, w- I would say, first of all, what's, what's feeding this idea that it might be selfish? Explore that, because that, be, that could be false guilt that's coming from certain expectations or it could be conviction. Right, so I don't want to, you know, you going to be careful about uh, talking you out of something that God might be convicting you of. So I don't, I don't know. Um, But the other thing is, I think when it comes to meaning or important, boy, that's so subjective, right? Like, um, and I think there is like this. I think we can make an idol out of being doing meaningful, important work. Like, you know, I'm doing nonprofit work, and that's much more meaningful than your, you know your job or whatever and it so then it just becomes another way to get get ahead just using a different scorecard and so there could be a lot of reasons why um we think something's more important or meaningful and so it's worth sorting through that a little bit i read a quote by eugene peterson i think it was in long obedience in the right in the same direction where he basically said we don't know the ultimate meaning and outcome of our work We, we can't really domesticate that. Like it's a wild thing and God's going to take care of it. And, and so, you know, we just, we have to trust that based on what we know about ourselves and the opportunities in the world and our experience that this is the best, this is our best way to follow his leading now. And we don't know where it's all going to end. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, we're, many of us are professional Christians here on the screen. Like, in Christian institutions, we've sold you the idea that you can know what the outcome is going to be and what the meaning is going to be. And it's not always the case. It kind of goes back to our diagram the first, first week about there's brokenness in every field and there's no like insurance policy that this work is meaningful and this work isn't.
1: Yeah, you know, Chip, the, you picked up on the word important in the way Melissa phrased the question. What perked my ears and got my attention was the word should. Um, And that's one of those words that makes me sit up straight. And I think, uh uh-oh, there's some expectation or some assumptions there. And so anytime a client uses the word should, I ask them to stop and think about that. And it goes back to um, a quote I heard from Henry Nowen. Um, I think it was Henry Nowen. And he said, I will not should on myself today, right? That should is a word loaded with pressure and expectation. But what happens when we take that off And we change that to to what do we need to do or what do we want to do? And and who's the one putting that on us? Um, There's a whole lot of freedom when we lift the shoulds out of our lives.
3: Good, I'm getting some good questions coming in here too. I think um, even just based on uh, one of the conversations, we just had um, uh, an idea that was given uh, for Bethann, I think about um, observing maybe those who are winning in a particular industry or uh, interest. Um, so the, the question uh, that they're asking is, what what may you recommend if we sort of discern that those who are maybe getting ahead or winning, however you want to understand that, um, aren't aren't really aligned with the gospel and with the kind of the flourishing of others? Um, so what do we do when sort of we meet a, a real world? Um, that may need less of people winning and and more of those who are maybe uh, I don't know embracing renewal or or even suffering on behalf so and it, thoughts on sort of how you how you um, think about that uh, in terms of um, where winning maybe isn't uh, gospel driven mm-hmm.
0: well it's almost I, I've seen it as like you have sort of have two choices so one is you stay in that lane, you stay in that industry, in that job, and you have to trust God to sustain you. And um, you know, there's all these stories in the Bible about God miraculously sustaining people in different ways, uh, politically and economically, and all that kind of thing. And that could be what He's calling you to do—to uh, be vulnerable, to live in a place of vulnerability for a while. Like you're not going to compromise. I mean, Sarah uses Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story they wouldn't compromise that made them vulnerable. They almost lost their lives and got rescued them. I mean, like, that's a great story. I mean, you may not want to live that story and get, you know, being tossed into a fiery furnace, that's fine, but you know, there's that, there's that tack or the other tack is that you go find some other place um, that's more aligned, which is probably more, that's the script that we all assume we're supposed to take, I, I think, but it could be either one. I mean, it just could be either one, you know, I think of, this is really macro, but Moses saying to Pharaoh, we need to, you need to let us go. We need to go worship God with, in freedom and you need to let us go. And that's kind of, that's another, that's another, I mean, it's a biblical strategy. It's a strategy. So you could, it's, you could stay or leave and it's subjective and, um, you know, it's, it's um, the, the trick with leaving is that we always think that's going to make it better. And sometimes it doesn't, I think that's the, we, we find there's other issues, you know, So that's my thoughts, guys. Other thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm laughing because there's a sense in which every job has fallen people that are running it and supporting it that don't always make the right decision. Where do you stop with this whole, you know, not supporting good things? And yet at the same time, that's why the boundaries is on on the model. We need to have boundaries about what we will do and what we will not do. So there's certain industries you might not really be called to go to or activities that you maybe need to refrain from doing and that just needs to be a personal boundary for you.
3: Let me see if I can get one more question in here before our time is up. Uh, I think this is somebody who's I mean just very practically um, navigating some stuff in their own own career Um, but thinking through ideas of like not wanting to disappoint our bosses or let people down Sort of, how do we balance responsibility and seeing something through, or in staying in our job for a certain amount of time, um, with with maybe wanting to pursue something else or, or different opportunities coming along? So, how how do we maybe, um, yeah, navigate that that kind of situation?
0: you know, it's interesting. So I don't I don't know who asked that question. I'm not I'm not I'm not um, I don't want to be crass. I don't want to be crass or insensitive, but a lot of the times when I've had clients have that conversation, like I'm here, and they usually have a high sense of loyalty, but they're very un, they're very frustrated. Um, they don't have a verified other option, and they don't want to spend the time to verify another option. So, um, so what I'm saying is, until you have a verified other op- opportunity or something else you can do, you actually don't really have a choice. Assuming you need to work for a living and pay your bills and you're not independently wealthy and that kind of thing, you have to stay where you are. Um, And I think that, so at the surface, so I, I hear that a lot. I hear like that, I really think I might supposed to be, I might be supposed to do something else, but then when you really poke in and say, well, what are you doing to discover what that something else might be? there really isn't a willingness to do that which gets that back to that idea we need to go seek the truth we need to embrace the truth and then the other thing i would just say is that if you do feel like you're uh in a situation where potentially you're being you're expressing an unhealthy level of loyalty um then that's something that's worth also exploring um you know and you know a lot of times it's you know, like my wife worked for a guy for three years. It's always said he was going to give her a raise and never did. So, you know, why didn't she actually did try and confirm on that, but she never actually, she eventually just decided to leave. But, you know, so like, what are we tolerating? I guess that maybe if we pushed it and pushed it, things would either get better or we'd be forced to make a decision, you know? Um, so I think that's another issue to just examine. Is there some kind of dis- dysfunction here? Is there some kind of attachment? Is there some kind of Unhealthy loyalty that I need to to work through. Um, so those are a couple of thoughts on that.
2: It's good.
3: Right. Well, gosh, somehow this time has gone by so fast. It can, it it always seems to. Um, this is such good content. I continue to just love um, hearing you guys kind of uh, tease this out. Uh, appreciate the the models and whatnot that you've offered us as well. Um, yeah, thank you, Sarah, for just kind of putting some uh, opportunities here in the chat. If you take a look at that as a webinar series, um, just some of the different things that they um, have going on at at Voca with a career search uh, training program. Um, I think I also want to highlight um, just you you hear him talking about uh, just coaching and clients that they work with. Um, i mean, one thing to take advantage of, and uh, this uh, I'll put this in our um, in a follow up email as well, but. They do offer a 30-minute um, free just consultation uh, if it's something that you want to kind of find out, like, would I benefit from, from more coaching or from a, uh, one of the programs that VOCA offers? Um, you can you can register for one of those um, on their website as well. I don't know, Chip or Ken or Sarah, if you want to say anything about that. But I think that's one of the things I want to make sure people are aware of and take advantage of.
1: I dropped a uh, link in the chat.
0: Yeah, Sarah dropped a link. I mean, it's all about a conversation, right? So yeah. Um, it's a basically free 30 minutes of coaching because we want to listen to you understand what's significant and big and what you're wrestling with. And then um, we usually don't, we don't, it's not like a 30 minute infomercial. It's a 28 minute coaching session with some suggestions for follow-up and things that would be helpful. So um, yeah, feel free to schedule with any of us.
3: Yeah. Fantastic resources here. And uh, I know there are a lot of, um, you know, kind of career coaching options out there, but I think what I so appreciate is just the foundation that you guys are coming from, uh, not only your value um, and just, yeah, uh, scripture and, the, and your identity in Christ, but that you're thinking about work um, from this sort of theological um, basis and, and uh, um, offering that to, to your coaching and clients. So thank you guys so much again for being with us.
2: Folks, The Career Navigator is not just a podcast, it's also a job search coaching program. That's where you get a professional guide to help you turn your job search into a life-changing adventure. For more information about The Career Navigator Coaching Program, visit vocacenter.org slash career navigator.
1: You don't have to navigate your career dilemmas alone. Join our community. Every webinar is recorded in front of a live virtual audience so attend our live webinar and help shape the conversation with your questions. Sign up at vocacenter.org webinar. The Career Navigator podcast is brought to you by the VOCA Center, where we bring God's wisdom to work.